Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I'm your host, Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, it's Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And joining us as well, he is your coach. He is my coach. He is the coach who made the right call Thanksgiving night with the Buffalo Bills circling those wagons is Coach Duffy. I will defer my hot take for the NBA segment in today's show. Ooh. Ooh, okay, so we will not talk the Giants on this one, but we'll definitely talk more sports with you. Join in that conversation on social media. You can find all the accounts on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. We definitely want to interact with you, so always make sure to throw the hashtag ODPH up there, and we'll definitely find you, interact, because we have a lot to discuss, and as we kick off every show during the NFL season is our locks and leaps, where we give you our predictions pre-week of who's going to win based off the Vegas spread and who's a leap based off the Vegas spread. Are we right or are we wrong? Padawan J has now caught up with Rich from 3FN. Uh huh. Last I checked, yep. a resurgence. Well, I, where am I? I got to be up there too. I, I've you, had a couple weeks. You're, you're growing up there, but okay. Pad is right now with Rich. It's, it, it, they're off by maybe a point. I don't have the to reigning, defending, the undisputed. He's, yeah. he's coming back. Never lost. The brand is 100 and 0. So, Pad, why don't you kick us off with your lock and leaps this week? Sure, I'll start with my lock. I had a good week this week. Uh, for my lock, I took the Kansas City Chiefs to defeat the Oakland Raiders. Uh, when we made the picks, the Kansas City Chiefs were favored by 10 points, but my God, it didn't matter. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs winning handedly by the final score of 40-9. to Derek Carr, 20 of 30 for 222 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. Patrick Mahomes, 15 of 29 for 175 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Coach, your thoughts on this game? Yeah, it was. Uh, I, so I watched most of the first half and then caught highlights of the second. Just a really weird game when you break down and you look at, you know, just the stats alone here. Yeah, you know, Carr having twenty of thirty with, you know, two interceptions but a touchdown. Sure. And then Josh Jacobs running for one hundred and four yards on yeah. seventeen carries, averaging six plus yards per carry. Yeah, that's a really good day for a running back. So I mean, that's just the tail of the tape of just not being able to get in the end zone. Well, and then you also throw in uh, Darren Waller on the receiving end of things, seven catches for a hundred yards, averaged fourteen yards a carry. Yeah, I mean, or a that's, catch, I should say. that's just not being able to put him in the end zone. Yeah, I mean, if you can't score and you let the Chiefs get anywhere above probably twenty five. With the way that this defense is playing, you're in trouble. I mean, Spagnuolo is doing a great job. If oh, there was, job. yeah, I mean, if there was a a coordinator of a year award, I would definitely put Spagnuolo, you know, as as the favorite for that because what he's doing with this defense versus last year. And I mean, listen, I I did not blame him when he came back to the Giants for that second stint and then ended up ultimately getting fired, you know, blaming him at any point because he's a damn good defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Horrible head coach. Yeah. Brilliant defensive coordinator. I think if you look at the Kansas City side of things, it's definitely that Ben don't break mentality because, okay. Like, I love it. Like I you, thrive on that mentality. Like you said, you know, all the offensive stats there, it's insane. And then I had to dig it up because I was curious. Uh, the Oakland Raiders only one of three in red zone, you know, made to attempts. So, you know, definitely bent a little bit, but they didn't break and let them get down there into the red zone all that often. In reading the score, 40-9, to nine, you would have thought Patrick Mahomes would have thrown for four touchdowns. Oh, you would have. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. I mean, Tyreek Hill, you would have thought at least had two, three touchdowns. Yeah. You would have thought there would have been that outlier with LaShawn McCoy. 
uh, or one of the other wide receivers getting in there, but no, not so much. No, yeah, and you look at the Kansas City side of things, nobody on the rushing side cracked 50 yards rushing, and then on the receiving side, Travis Kelsey was their leading receiver with 90 yards. Yeah, he lucked out because I remember he pulled up limp in his hamstring there. Yeah. And I thought they were going to be in some Man, real trouble. Man, he had a hell of a catch on a third down over the middle. Uh, it was like a third and 12, and Mahomes was backpedaling on a blitz that mm-hmm. came up the middle, and he threw it off his back foot, and Kelsey just jumps up and just palms this ball, like just like a beautiful like how you want a wide receiver to catch it, just right in his face, hands in the diamond shape, boom, right in there. And then just went right to the ground on his back and just held on the ball. It was like, it was like suspended in time. Like when you watch it even on TV, you were like, "Oh, he, there's no way he's going to catch this ball. He's going to get dropped on his head." And then he came down, landed right on his back, and caught it. It it just goes to show how much that offense clicks. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, for Mahomes to have only 175 yards passing, yeah, with one touchdown, but yell he got a running touchdown. And you saw LaShawn McCoy sighting, which was impressive to see. Yeah, <laughs> for you know 10 yards, but still he got a touchdown as well. To see Kansas City clicking at the right time, obviously Mahomes is the linchpin that gets that whole ball rolling. Hey, listen, with their offense playing like the way that it did, not great, when you see the defensive side of things and you see the way they're playing, mm-hmm. that very much would worry me. And not that I'm hitting the panic button in a certain East Coast powerhouse that we have in the AFC, New England, mm-hmm. but uh, – I would not be really looking forward to f- having to potentially face Kansas City in the first round. Well, we're not on the road or not. Well, we're not going to have to wait long. New England's playing Kansas City next week. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right, but it's regular season. Right, right. Yeah. regular and, season. And it's a whole different ball game. And it's that whole mentality yeah. that New England has where they don't care as long as they're just have home field advantage. So right now, I mean, the pressure's on them with, you know, being the 2 seed now, but yeah, Kansas City is playing very, very well. And then Oakland on the flip side of things, you know, benching Derek Carr last week. Coming Midwest this week to yeah. Kansas City, Midwest, um, Mid Central, Mid Midwest, Midwest, Midwest. Uh, you know, so having to fly out again for another road game, uh, you know, this is a tough break. This is an Oakland team that has just such such peaks and valleys. I mean, so that darn Wizard of Oz. Yeah, Car, car plays terrible one week, comes back, well plays great that. the next week. Thank you. And it's just like, what do you? What is Oakland doing? Like, what are, you know? They're obviously now they've got too many wins to get the first pick in the draft, mm-hmm. and so the the dive for Tua that they were trying to do obviously tank for Tua didn't work out. Yeah. So now it's like so you're stuck in this position where yeah there's going to be a quarterback available you know when you're talking ten or eleven, but with the way Derek Carr is playing, do you do that or do you try and get another skill position to come in there and help them out? I mean, looking at their schedule the rest of the season, I mean, let's be honest, it doesn't really matter much. It's just it's going to be interesting to see where they fall because this is one of those teams where. You don't, you know, you don't know what you're going to get out of them. You don't look at a team like, say, maybe a Green Bay, and go, "Yeah, they're probably going to win." Like they're they're almost a lock to win. Or you know, some other teams like maybe a Cincinnati, where it'll go, "Oh God, yeah, no, they're going to lose." You look at the rest of their schedule. They've got Tennessee, Jacksonville, the Chargers, and the Broncos to close out the year. You would think that Oakland might be able to make a strong ending to the season. Now, I'm not saying playoffs because right. I think I think that window has closed, even though yeah. they they were on pace. Let's not forget they were on pace a couple weeks ago for that last playoff spot. A 7 and 9 finish. Yeah, that's probably what they're going to be looking at. And for Gruden in his now what second season with the Raiders? Correct. Yes. Where do you go from here because you've shown some improvement but I think the point you've nailed coach is it's peaks and valleys. Right. It's not consistent. Like we talk about who is Atlanta? What, what is, is Atlanta? Atlanta? We now have to say 
Oakland? Yeah. Slash Las Vegas, whatever they end up being. Well, yeah, until they actually play in Vegas, we're not even talking yeah, about Yeah, I mean, that. Waller has played well and unexpected. You know, uh, Josh Jacobs also unexpected. And then Derek Carr, I, to me, I think is a very solid quarterback. I mean, obviously their defense is not up to par, and there is some, you know, things that need to be fixed on that side of the ball. But, yeah. you know, considering the year that they thought they were going to have going into the year with A.B., mm-hmm. thought, you know, thought they were going to have Antonio Brown, and then obviously that – unraveled and fell to shambles <laughs> you know they were still able to to salvage offensively what they had and put out a product that you know can win games it's just ultimately right now their defense is not carrying their side of the of the of the game i definitely think they'll keep you know john gruden around oh, for, yeah. for next year but i think if next year you get maybe halfway th- through three quarters of the way through the season and things are not improving and that it's either the same or even god help them worse that's when they'll pull the triggering and get rid of them that's a bad contract to cut, though. Yeah, that's, that's, I don't. That's I don't that's know. the only thing. Like I, I would say normally, yeah, I, I fully agree. But how that contract is is set up, I'm, I don't see it. But it would be a costly move to do. And just for Oakland, you need to find an identity. Like the flip side to Pad's leap, Tennessee has an identity. Mm-hmm. It's called run the ball. Oh. Yes. Run, run, play action. Run, run, run play action. You want to talk about old school smash mouth. You know what you get out of Tennessee each uh-huh. week. It is not pretty. No. But they win or they lose, but it's clo- always close. Except this one, a little different turnout. Pat, you got that? Yeah, so uh, I took Tennessee to beat the Indianapolis Colts. The, the Colts were favored by two and a half, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, final score ended up being Tennessee 31, Indianapolis 17. Ryan Tannehill, 17 of 22 for 182 yards. Two touchdowns, no interceptions. Jacoby Brissett, 25 of 40 for 319 yards. One touchdown, two interceptions. What else can you say about this game other than Derrick Henry? Well, I'm looking at the box score right now. They have two people listed as running mm-hmm. for Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. Yep. I mean, in an NFL today where teams have a multitude of backs, you know, they've got a first down back, they got a goal line back, they got a, a third down back. You're talking about one guy had 26 carries. I mean, that's just a workhorse day. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You don't see that. You don't see it at all We're anymore. I mean, even with as great as Le'Veon Bell and Saquon Barkley are, they're not playing every single down like that, and they're definitely not carrying the ball 26 times. That is, I mean, as a Giants fan, that is for goddamn sure. I would say the only time you see you know 20-plus carries a game in the this day's day and age of the NFL is on Madden playing franchise mode. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, you're lucky and if today's NFL, if you got one running back with probably, I would say, 15-plus carries. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely wild to see how Tennessee is just so old school in this mentality. And it works. 7-5, and five, they are still in the playoff talk. Not saying they're going to get into that sixth seed. But if they keep winning, I'm not saying they can't sneak in. And Why not? No, it's not out of the realm of thought. But to look at Ryan Tannehill, who we all wrote off, is now having a resurgence in Tennessee. Yeah. Where a line is actually protecting him and not having him take bad shots oh. to his knees. Well, I mean, let's. It's not so much that Ryan Tannehill's winning games as it is he's managing. Well, he's managing, but he's upright and he's healthy. That's my right, big thing. Right. Because especially with all the knee problems he's had over the years, you're finally seeing yeah. the potential in him. Not saying that he's going to be uh, all pro, but you have to give him his due that he finally has a line that's protecting him. He's not taking those bad shots to the knees. 
and he's staying upright and he's moving the chains and that's all they need him to do. That's like, all you need. I mean, especially when you got, you know, I mean, when you're aver- when your running backs averaging 5.7 yards per carry. Yeah. So that means second down you're looking at at most a second and 6. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a way easier game plan and a much, much bigger wide-open playbook that oh, your coach yeah. can have oh, yeah. versus having to be second and sick or second and ten yeah. or plus. Yeah, so Tennessee is doing it very, very old school, but it's working. It's working, and they're right there. I mean, they're in currently the seventh seed in the AFC. Uh, Pittsburgh is ahead of them. They have the same record, but the only reason Pittsburgh is ahead is they have the tiebreaker over Tennessee based on the best win percentage in conference games. Pittsburgh is 6-3 and three in conference, and then Tennessee is 5-4. and four. Right, so this game obviously had some implications. Obviously, conference is always tough, and for, yeah. the, for the Colts, you really have to just kind of say, all right, next season is a rebuilding one. It's a rebuilding one, but I would say this season, I, for them, it's not up to their standards, obviously, because for every team in the NFL, it's Super Bowl or bust. But for them, given the fact that we're going into the season, okay, Andrew Luck had retired. Right. The fact that they're sitting at 500 and not, like, god-awful record is, hey, kudos to them. To them. Yeah, they're managing. I mean, they're not getting the job done, but they're not exactly falling apart. No. Like, you can throw in any team you want to say there, Miami, yeah. Cincinnati, you know, the lesser teams in the league right now, Indianapolis is managing. Not in the good sense, not in the bad sense, but they're there. And like I said, this is just goes to show that in the division that really is kind of slept on because you know about Houston, mm-hmm. Jacksonville is a train wreck right yeah. now. Yeah. Tennessee yeah, is, is flying under the radar, and they can definitely make some noise if they really want to sneak in there and do something. They'll say, yeah, Jacksonville's just an absolute train wreck. They benched a Super Bowl MVP for a dude with a mustache. Yeah, and a costly bench, too. Uh-huh. That is absolutely insane. That's another, That's another. you know, we talked about Gruden's contract and all the messiness with that. That's another contract that, like, you can't just let him go. No, you can't. Like the For guy, the amount they paid him? Yeah, you can't let that go. Yeah, Jacksonville has got a lot of questions with their quarterback. One team that doesn't, though, is those New Orleans Saints. Who that? And our coach took the Thanksgiving special, picking all Thanksgiving Day. Oh, I picked, yeah. I, I mean, I was doing it early and, and picking those Thanksgiving games. I mean, New Orleans won 26-18. Pag, go ahead with the stats. Sure. Uh, Drew Brees, 18 of 30 for 184 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Matt Ryan, 35 of 50 for 312 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. So not exactly the performance I was thinking when I picked this game as my lock because I thought New Orleans was going to come out and see blood in the water and just stomp all over this Atlanta team, and it was quite the opposite. I was very, very nervous when I went to bed at halftime that Atlanta was going to end up pulling out this game. I mean, the defense definitely did their part. Matt Ryan sacked nine times. Yeah, New Orleans Oof. has one of the most underrated defenses all the league. When they show up, right? When they impressive. show up, but when they don't play, they don't play. Exactly. When they disappear, and when you talk about Matt Ryan have three hundred and twelve yards, and that is without Julio Jones, Jones. playing. That is a cause for concern. Yeah. yeah. Which Atlanta, like we said, who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> I don't even think they know at this point. They I mean, don't. It's just going to be a complete rebuild. I mean, I think Quinn is gone as head coach <laughs> at the end of the year. He's He has to be. If Ron Rivera was fired today from Carolina. Yeah, that's why I yeah. don't know. Yeah, that's why I say like any, anything I is mean, up in the air. If Dan Quinn was not let go after the bye week with all the things that ownership and they were that they were coming out of Atlanta – I don't know. They might give him another year. He, he can't at this point. You, I like. I'm not wishing anybody gets they're fired. Still, their but job, they but. still play well, though. That's the problem. Like, but there's games that they come out and they have no business winning, and then they win. Right, but the the, the problem is you don't get the effort consistently with the talent you have. Sure, because that's the that's the key factor. If Atlanta didn't have talented weapons on both sides of the ball, 
then it should be a wash. But to be three and nine with the talent you have mm-hmm. is unacceptable. And it has to fall on one person. That's the coach because you're the one scheming. You're the one getting them ready to go for games. If it's not getting done, and like we've talked about in the past, if this is still lingering on the Super Bowl hangover. Lord, I hope not. Like what do you need to do to get rid of it? You need to just completely start over. I There's no real easy answer. But to have this team be as bad as they are, with the weapons they have, yeah, something's got to give. Let's just let's come back to the positive though. That New Orleans was able to win this game ugly. Yeah, and that is something that New Orleans of the past could not do. I was like, if New Orleans really needs to work on anything, it's their running game. I mean, they haven't had a, a run, yeah. they haven't had a running back crack a hundred yards since uh, Murray did it week eight against the Arizona Cardinals. After that, their highest rushing has been twenty four yards, seventy five yards, sixty four yards, and sixty one yards. What is going on with Kamara? I have no I idea. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, this As guy someone was, who has him on fantasy, I am very concerned. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't get it because this guy was supposed to be an every down dominant back, and I mean, every, getting 41 yards a game right now. I yeah. mean, that's just that's not a good look as a top tier running back. It's not a good look, and it doesn't have any good explanation. No. no. Just I think defenses are game planning for him better. That breeze, but it's like pick your poison. If you shut down the running game. Look at the wide receiver core that New Orleans has. You have the highest-paid wide receiver currently in the league right now, yeah. and Michael Thomas, yeah. who will still get yards. They have a serviceable tight end with Jared Cook. They will move the chains no matter what. Yeah, but my argument to that would be is, I mean, when you look at this, Drew Brees with only 184 yards, but Kamara only 11 carries for 61 yards. Yeah. Well, they, they – like Tip for tat there, you know. I oh, mean, you absolutely. would have thought Kamara would be – if Drew Brees only has 184 yards, you're going to think Kamara probably has 150 of total yards. Kamara on the season has 587 yards. Yeah, well, he was hurt. He, he was hurt. hurt. He was he hurt, hurt, he's hurt for some of it. 587 so, and one touchdown. But this is my thing, though, because it, it kind of circles back to, you know, Saquon Barkley with the Giants. I mean, obviously, I, I necessarily – I don't know, but, I mean, these guys are not living up to the – standards that has been set for themselves now i obviously saquon does not have the offensive line that kamara has Mm. but i mean it almost feels like and i don't know but it looks to be like maybe these guys are coming back early from these injuries Mm. and they're still lingering and nagging them that are preventing them from being the elite performers It's, it's possible because i mean listen the Giants had roughly the same offensive line last year. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, they had Odell Beckham on the outside that you had a game plan for that kind of helped prevent putting bodies in the box. Sure, But on the flip side of this, he was still able to be explosive and dynamic and get outside, and Kamara's been the same way. I mean, and nothing's changed for them. They still have Michael Thomas on the outside. They still got Drew Brees. Jared Cook, obviously, is an upgrade from Jimmy Graham's performance last year at yeah. tight end. So, yeah. I mean, what what? You know, like what else do they need? It's a really interesting question, and I don't have a good answer. Because the thing is, with this offense and Sean Payton's game planning every week, which is second to none, right? they should be putting up more points. Albeit, though, Atlanta really made a point to shut them down. You could say division rivalry game sure. and use that excuse if you want to, but really there is no real good answer. I mean, Kamara might still be lingering that he wants to get back on the field. But at the same token, take a look at what Drew Brees did. Right. You said oh, yeah. you got to put faith in your fellow teammates to carry the load. I understand the pressure about wanting to be out there and help your teammates. I get that. Well, let's just talk about the fact that Drew Brees has not played well since he's been back. No. Yeah. He hasn't been putting up great numbers. 
but they've been winning, and that's the, yeah. The, well, the, that's what matters, though. And at the end of the day, that's what's going to matter. And you're not going to not play Drew Brees, no matter how well yeah you know they were playing up until the point where he came back. You're not. He's going to start. The only thing in Salas they can have is Bridgewater is adequate enough. He can come in there and manage the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and then he's going to be a highly sought after quarterback. Oh, offseason. absolutely. Or however it is can to get him out of New Orleans is going to be tough. I would say New Orleans has to lock him up long term and make sure he doesn't leave because if he goes anywhere. It's going to be a huge addition for her team, especially one that could be Dallas because they are going to be in a lot of trouble next year with their cap space. But, Coach, let us get into your leap. I loved watching this game on Thanksgiving with my in-law, who is a Cowboy fan. Ooh, I love this. If there isn't anything I love more than the Giants winning, it's the Cowboys losing. Let's well, see the old adage you root for two teams, the New York Giants and whoever beats the Dallas That's Cowboys. Damn right. And I said that to I go, I, there is no bigger fan of the Cowboy of the Jets or the Bills than when they are playing the Cowboys and it's me. <laughs> Pat, give us the stats. Uh, Buffalo Bills won by the final score of 26 to 15. Josh Allen 19 of 24 for 231 yards, one touchdown, no inter- interceptions. Dak Prescott 32 of 49 for 355 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. All right, let me have something well, to say. Hold on, hold on, hold on, real quick, though. Before you go on your thing, let me just... This was the game that the Cowboys forgot of Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. Because this. he was feasting, like on Thanksgiving Day. Mm-hmm. He was having yams, he was having the stuffing, turkey, gravy. He was, feed me more. And then all of a sudden, the tail of the second half came, and they forgot all about him. Yep. I fully agree. And it was the biggest mistake Garrett did the entire game why when Zeke is running the ball down the Bills throat and I am saying this as a Bills fan that he was killing us oh that God. first drive I was I was absolutely panicked oh I was too. that first drive I saw that drive he went right down the field and ran crazy on them and I'm sitting there going all right you're gonna have a Allen on his back shooting down the field all the time to catch up because the smart move would be, okay, let's feed Zeke the entire game at this For point. For sure. Because if there's one thing that is suspect about the Bills' defense, it's their run stoppage. Ed Oliver has kind of struggled a little bit coming out of there. Shaq Lawson, we don't know what we get out of him every week, but he's starting to play better. The front line, if somebody gets through, they're usually going to be having a long day for Buffalo, and that that's what it is. But for Dallas to switch up, the game plan, and we want to talk about carries. How many did Derrick Henry have? 26. 20, 26 carries. Ezekiel Elliott had 12 after he scored in the first three minutes of the game and was absolutely killing the Bills. So what do we do? We're going to switch it up, and we're going to try passing because reasons. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Because logic. Because, yeah. Well, well so, and, a, and a lack of logic because as an Amari Cooper fantasy owner, he's been having injuries. At least that's what the notifications have been telling me. He's questionable. He's healthy. He's healthy. You know, and the same can be said for Randall Cobb. I mean, Randall Cobb practiced despite being listed as having an illness. Mm-hmm. My thing is, is what I, and this was the biggest question to me. So you pay Ezekiel Elliott all that money. Uh-huh. And you give him 12 carries. Yes. And you still have not paid Dak. No. And there's still that question of whether you will or not. Mm-hmm. And I get the idea that you are down. You know, I mean, that's pretty much the game plan switch once Dallas was down. That's been the story of what Dallas has done is once they are down, it is immediately forget about Pat running. They are going to pass the ball. That, I mean, that has been there. That's happened in the Jets game. That happened uh, in the other game that they lost to the whoever. Every time they lost, it has been 
They are immediately switched from a run-based team to a pass-based team. And the problem with that is Ezekiel Elliott's the best player. Oh, yeah. you got to give him the yeah. ball. And I know that they try to work him in space and try and get him ball, you know, try and get, you know, touches for him in the pass game. But it's like you can't just continue to run routes with him when, I mean, his longest carry of the game was 30 yards and he wasn't touched for the first 21 of those yards. Mm-hmm. I agree. And that's why I say they absolutely screwed that up completely. The Bills, though, did play a great game. Bills played a uh, – I mean, they handled things as best as they could. Yeah, absolutely. So you can't take anything away and just say, well, it was all Dallas screwing up because, no, the Bills showed up. Yep. Josh Allen played phenomenally. Which is exactly what I th- – I mean, seven points was so large. Yeah, that was absolutely egregious. Yeah, that was a bad, that was a bad spread because, I mean, the Bills are playing very, very good football. And I granted it is it's on the road and it's Dallas, but it's like it's not like Buffalo hasn't played well on the road. No, definitely not. And that's where the Bills have shined. Their defense came through clutch, causing panic for Dak and obviously turnovers. Well, you don't have to worry about the pass rush. It was the run stop that you had to yeah. worry about. Yeah, the run yeah. stop was the only thing you have to worry about, which I fear for this week. Oh boy, oh, boy. I'm fearing for that. Uh, you should be. Yeah, I'm. I'm not even going to lie about it. I'm. I'm completely celebrating this win, and I apologize for absolutely nothing for going off this week. Enjoy. Hey, enjoy it now. Because yes, because when Baltimore faces the Bills. Baltimore is not going to forget how to run the They're ball. not going to forget. <laughs> no. No, it, it's it, going to be big trust all day. Yeah. All day. But for this game, the Bills showed up. They did what they had to do. Josh Allen played a great game with no turnovers. And even the trick play from Brown to Singletary. Or, um, which I loved which was my am- fantasy team. Yeah, which was amazing. It just goes to show that when the offense finally buys into switching it up, not being one-dimensional, Dabble actually called a good game. I, I will give him his credit. He actually called a good game with his play calling. And Cole Beasley had a great return to Dallas, too. Oh, you know he had that one circled on oh, the calendar. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Come on. Yeah, yeah, and he proved why he is such a valued asset to the Bills right now. Because if anything, Josh Allen needs that security blanket as a young quarterback. Beasley will cut across that middle, and he will take the shots, and he usually catches the ball. Dawson Knox had a good game, too. And he's also somebody that's emerging as well. So when the Bills finally get the ball rolling – they're going to be looking good. And Devin Singletary is being healthy thus far. And him and Gore are bouncing off each other. So the Bills played well. And like I said, that defense was swarming. I mean, you just have to remember that when they Dallas went away from the run, they had no answer for that defense. Uh, they, had nothing. Yeah. they had nothing, which I'm sorry. This is why Garrett should have been fired after the game. Hey, hey. Don't you speak of the next Giants head coach that way? I would clap. Don't you speak ill will of him? That Please. was Kellen. That was Kellen Moore. He's the offensive coordinator. Please clap. I would clap, but I'm holding the microphone. This is on Garrett. This is on Moore because they should have switched it up. Because why did you go away from the run? That is the biggest takeaway from this. If we're all sitting there, and I'm, and I'm saying thank you, because Zeke would have killed us on this. I fear what Baltimore is going to do next week. I really do. But for the Bills, they shut down a good team in Dallas on paper. And they did what they needed to do. They absolutely came in there, made a statement win on national TV, which they don't really do too well these days. And obviously, this caused a game to get flexed for them against the Steelers on uh-huh. Sunday in two weeks. Yep. Well, I mean, this uh, that's a big playoff implication game. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, that, next three weeks are real interesting for Buffalo. Like you mentioned, Baltimore this week, uh, Pittsburgh the following week, New England the week after, and then Jets to close out the season. I think that for the Bills to get in the playoffs, they need to win at least one more. At, le- at least. I want to say... Two wins, I'd feel better, but I'm going to be a realistic fan about this. Baltimore is going to be a true test. Yo, that, I 
That game's going to be so. I mean, the the thing is, is that Baltimore's defense has been quietly very good. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that they will just run the ball down your throat, and it's not just Mark Ingram because no, it, obviously once Lamar Jackson gets uh, gets outside the tackles, forget about it. Yeah. And I mean, not well, even so to I say, saw I saw firsthand what they did against New England. It was scary. Yeah. Not even to say that once he starts slinging the ball too, oh, once yeah. he starts throwing. Oh, I mean, yeah. listen, he gets Hollywood Brown going. In. Yeah. I mean, for, forget about just the you know the fact that Dak Prescott had to throw forty nine times. Lamar Jackson only needs to throw 22, and he'll have 300 yards. We'll say Dak threw 49 times. He ran four. That is not going to be the case for Lamar. No, definitely not. And I think anybody that's thinking otherwise. You haven't been watching. You haven't been watching. The Ravens are absolutely scary no matter how you want to cut it. And they don't need to have a player step up consistently. They have, I mean, everywhere from Andrews to Snead. And look in that run game with Mark Ingram who gets that ball going, and he's just got to yell, big trust, and it's done. It makes me envious as a Giants fan. Oh, absolutely. To watch a team that scary. Baltimore has just quietly emerged as arguably the best team in the AFC. Arguably. When we had them, what, third? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. They've definitely it stepped just, it up. I mean, we just didn't know what was going to come from Lamar yeah. Jackson. I mean, yeah. I credit all the credit in the world to Harbaugh. Because oh, he has put him into a position we'll say, do you think, uh, for success. I'll say uh, Harbaugh better buy him a nice little gift. I think he single-handedly saved his job. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I th- Listen, think about all the risk that they took going all in from Flacco to him by trading Flacco away. Not Super even just Bowl MVP. Him. Yeah, not even just benching him, trading him away to putting it all on his shoulders to adapt your offense to a whole new system. Because, I mean, uh, I know we're going on a tangent here with Baltimore, but let's talk about the fact that so many coaches – Coach to their style and don't bend, don't break on it at mm-hmm. all. You know, they one way, one way, or it's the highway, you know. And then you look at this system now with what Harbaugh has done with Lamar Jackson. You talk about one of the most probably unathletic quarterbacks in Flacco to now the most athletic quarterback, and now you're running a whole new scheme. Mm-hmm. Kudos to him for being able to do that. Absolutely. This is why Baltimore is where they are because they know the talent they have on their side of the ball. Now yep. let's compare this to Dallas, shall we? Sure. Dallas can't figure out that you have arguably one of the best running backs in the entire league, and yet mm-hmm. you only give them the ball 11 times. No, they can. They just, when they, I don't know what flips in their head that when they lose, when they're losing, that they need to throw the ball because it doesn't make any sense. And I understand that you got Amari Cooper, but it's like Dallas should be a team built similar to how St. Louis is. Run, run, play action. Run, run, play action. You mean Los run, Angeles? Los Angeles, yes. Run, run, play action. That is what their offense should be. It should be built the same way that McVay has built that offense there, that you predicate your passing game off the run because that frees up Dak to be able to have time in the pocket to throw the ball. And instead, when he just dropped back and it's a five- to seven-step drop back, no team is concerned about having to stop him. No. None. Because they know that if they blitz and have a spy like Buffalo, they will either get pressure on him or they will sack him. Yeah, it was absolutely beautiful what Buffalo did to game plan for that second half. Because once he took Ezekiel Elliott out of the game, Dallas fell apart. Yeah. And we we know who Dallas was. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, exactly. Which is average at best. I mean, I mean yeah. <laughs> stats don't lie. Yeah, I mean, I, average at best is probably putting it nicely because, I mean, they are – I would love to see the 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 six wins. What Dak what Dak Prescott's versus Ezekiel Elliott's numbers look like in those games? Yeah, because I bet you, it's the f- reverse of that. Exactly, and this is why if Dallas is going to have any success, you have arguably the best offensive line in all the NFL. 
Why are you only running the ball 11 times? And you think about the teams that are in the talk for you know super, the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. San Francisco. Not a great run game, but a serviceable one enough that they can get you know yards on you. Yeah, and Garoppolo. They move the chains. They move yeah the and they move the chains, and they put, set up play action. New England, serviceable run game, but obviously they, they're they an outlier because they have the greatest quarterback, arguably, of all time back there mm-hmm. next to Eli. And then, you know, you've got uh, the, uh, oh, my God, Ravens, who they're play action heavy. So you t- And then look at what Los Angeles did last year with Steven Jackson, not Steven Jackson, Gurley, Gurley that they You're run. Hung up on I'm, I'm this hung week. up on everything. They run play. You know, they're predicated on play action. So you think about the successful teams and what helps win, and it's being able to run the ball successfully and get yards and set up play action. And these teams that don't do that don't win. Exactly, and this is why Dallas. This is why I'm saying they're average. They should be better. They should be light years better. But when you take away your biggest weapon on the offensive side and you put it in Dak's hands for no reason and you're forcing him to shoot, even even Seattle, Booger McFarland said it beautifully last night. They don't care who's running the ball in their backfield. Mm -hmm. They're going to go out and smash the ball down your face, whether it is Carson or Penny, Penny, not premier running backs, but they are going to give them 20 touches a game each. And then Russell Wilson just needs to do what he does. Yeah. And it's not even manage the game because they put the ball on his shoulders and let let it ride, but they are going to base their play off the run. Yeah, Dallas needs to do this. And if it comes down to get rid of Garrett and more, then you got to do that. You have to. That's fine. At I'll th- take him. At this stage, you need to do something because you're wasting away Elliott's contract, which is now tied <laughs> which up. Which is mind-boggling. Yeah, you've now tied up the cap space for Cooper, Dak, and a whole laundry list of other players. you, you got to think that's the most frustrating thing. In case you're curious, uh, Ezekiel Elliott averaging 19 uh, carries a game. He's got he's got just a little over 200 you know, divided by the 12 games they played. So it, it comes out to like 18.91 or something like that. So 19 carries a game. Dak Prescott, by contrast, uh, a 37.25 attempts per game. That's ridiculous. <laughs> You're the highest paid running back in like NFL history or whatever the heck it is, and he's not even cracking twenty carries a game. That's terrible. This is why they need to do a switch up in the and coaching. they ha- and they have an offensive line there that can bully people. Oh, absolutely. That's why I say they got the best offensive line in the league. They should be running in every play. This is why Dallas is going to be where Dallas is, and it's going to be watching the playoffs on the sidelines. I'm sorry, unless Philly does another choke job. This could happen. I'm just saying, whoever comes out of the NFC East is going to be first-round fodder. I mean, listen, Philly can either win the division or a top-ten draft pick. Yeah, this is how bad Talk the about NFC a win-win. East is. But this is how it is. I mean, it could always be worse. Cleveland, oh. you know, the hype train is definitely off the tracks. It's off the tracks. It's down the embankment. It's it's rolling down. It's, it's bad. Yeah, and I thought maybe there were signs of life that Cleveland was going to come back because they had to go face an undrafted quarterback who only <laughs> played in one game. Undrafted quarterback, and, and you know, the Freddie Kitchens, the head coach, is seen wearing a shirt that said Pittsburgh started it. So like, oh, we're getting we're getting spicy here. All right, I'm sorry. How dumb is that move? Uh, looking, so, looking back now, ridiculously dumb. On the flip side, if Cleveland won that game, it'd be a brilliant move. I mean, I picked up Cleveland's defense because I thought they were going to play inspired mm-hmm. football. I thought they were going to go out that they were going to try and just 
murder this team defensively, that they were going to yeah. put the stop to them, that they were going to, you know, all for Miles Garrett, you know, the T-shirt, uh, well, and, and Jarvis Landry wore something too. Well, and especially, when, especially when the NFL supposedly warned the referees for this game, like, hey, you might want to pay a little extra special attention given what happened a few weeks Kitchens ago. Kitchens is a joke. Yeah. Kitchens is Rex Ryan 2.0. Oh, so, I mean, yeah, that shirt was I'm, not only is that shirt embarrassing from your organization standpoint. I mean, if ownership wants to wear like a 92 patch on their hat in honor of Miles Garrett, like good fine. for you. Fine. But to call out another organization saying that they started and then put up the performance that you did that you want to talk about something that should have got you fired that. I, I insist that Kitchens needs to be let go as head coach. Sure. Downgrade him to offense coordinator, and he'll, he'll be fine. But he cannot run a team, and I'm sorry. What other head coach? I'll, I'll even go this far. Past two years, have you ever seen a head coach do a stunt like he did? Anybody? That, that we no. know of? No. I mean, yeah. God, I'm trying to think of like the most outspoken coach that has done it. I mean, no. The only thing that I could think of is the Matt Hasselbeck you know, we'll take the ball and we're going to score, which he only said that because, you know, he was friends with the guys on the other side of the coin Yeah, toss. that's a whole different ball game, but especially coming off the drama where Miles Garrett went completely bananas with right. a helmet and the tempers are running high, you want to throw more gas on the fire as the head coach of your organization and really stir that pot. It made no sense what to do because the Steelers – are battle-tested when it comes to this kind of nonsense. And congratulations, you gave them so much bulletin more material. They came out and they punched you right in the mouth. With a third-string quarterback who was undrafted. Yeah, which if you look at their stat line for everybody is no names, and they completely dominated you 20-13. to 13. Pat, hit him up for the stats. Sure. Uh, like you said, final score, 20-13, to 13, Pittsburgh won. Baker Mayfield, 18-32 of 32 for 196 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Devlin Hodges, uh, 14 of 21. Who? Yeah, exactly. Quack. <laughs> uh, 14 of 21 for 212 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Who? I, Who? I mean, again, I I said it, but Cleveland should be embarrassed. Uh, shout out to Stanford, not Stanford, excuse me, Samford, uh, the college where Devlin Hodges uh, hails from. Congratulations, because you came in there and you beat one of the most overhyped teams of all the season. Uh huh. Hey, I'll say uh, they were hyping him up on the pregame show there, talking about all the things that Delvin Hodges did well in college, and he actually had a really good performance against uh, Florida State. He he looked serviceable. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. He's not Big Ben, but you know what? He moved the chains. He got the wins. Benny Snell, who got sixty-three yeah. and a touchdown, and the sickest mouth guard in NFL freaking history with that spinner. A spinner mouth guard. My God, it reminded me of the old Dada shoes. Oh, so that's all I could think what about. Is this, the nineties. Yeah, oh, I, all is. I could think about was uh, Chris Webber's shoes that he came out with with the Dadas and the spinners. I was like, that is nasty. That is a hell of a throwback too, because I completely forgot about uh-huh, that. Uh huh. Yeah. But look, I, I might have owned a pair. I don't hate you on that. I do <laughs> not, not with the all. spinners. No. I couldn't. I wasn't ballsy enough. But. Looking at this game, though, the Steelers are now in a full playoff spot. They're two games behind Buffalo. Yep. And they're in cruise control right now. They do have to win outright, though, to make sure they get that playoff spot. Sure. Tennessee's right with them. And Cleveland, this was the game that if they were going to win, this would have bolted them right ahead, and they could have had the playoffs. But now playoffs are done. You're not going to get the right oh, yeah. losses. I mean, I just it's crazy to me because, I mean, Big Ben went down. You know, obviously they let go of Le'Veon Bell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, no everything. A, no AB. You know, AB, the AB drama. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster was out this game. So, yep. I mean, you're looking at this and you're just like, all right, Pittsburgh, 
I mean, Connor's out too. So just, all right, chalk this up as an L. There's yeah. no way they're going to be able to win this game. But they have put, you know, this team, the defense, the defense has put this team on their back. Yeah. And they are carrying this team right now. That Minka uh, trade. So Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick been... looks brilliant yeah. right now. I mean, they gave up a first rounder, which at the time was crazy. Looked like it was going to be a top five pick. Now, you know, probably going to be in the teens somewhere. Middle which, of the pack. Mid- yeah, which. Really, what are you losing when you have a, a safety who's 23 years old and playing at a Pro Bowl level? Yeah, yeah, they absolutely researched his career. He might, he might be in some talk for Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, yeah. in some I would, talk, in I some would talk. say him, Jamal Adams are probably up there right yeah. now. Yeah, like I said, he has reignited that Steelers defense, and he has made it an absolute nightmare for quarterbacks. Yeah, and looking at what he's done, like we said, this team should have been written off. This team should not be oh, playing yeah. as well as they are. Yeah. You have to give credit to Tomlin and the organization. I, yeah, I mean, there were people talking, uh, at, calling for Tomlin's head. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? saying he was yeah. leaving for Washington yeah, I mean, at one point. And the the craziest thing to me was, and I remember when the trade happened, everybody was like, well, you know, Fitzpatrick obviously played well at Alabama, but he had no tape in Miami because he just was barely playing. Right. He was barely even getting on the field because how poorly he was playing there. And I think it just goes to show that, Winning obviously heals a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little change of scenery, you know. I mean, from the sunny skies and and nice beaches in Miami to the you know tundra and and grizzliness of of Pittsburgh, you know, the Steel City obviously maybe just sparked you know his resurgence here. And and defensively, they are they're stout. Yeah. Oh, they're they're incredible. The one thing, and I'll I'll touch upon it too, though. You are right, the change of scenery, but it's also the change in team culture. Absolutely. And I would also say I would also say the way the organization is run. Oh yeah. Right. You, yeah. You can't you can't talk high enough about that. Yeah, you look at teams like the Patriots. Yeah. Like the Steelers. Like the Ravens. Like the Giants were. Yeah, like the Giants were way back when. I mean, I remember the tape was on black and white and you know the antennas you yeah. have to work together. It wasn't that long ago, Ben. <laughs> but as we say, it's all about where you go and the structure yeah. you're in. I mean Credit and but credit to Mike Tomlin for being able to rally the troops with all the chips down. Yeah, I mean they were literally down to they were two and four going into their bye week. Yeah, and and things were not looking good. And their one and their two wins were against Cincinnati and the Chargers. I mean they were literally down to their last about hundred dollars. They had pocket deuces sitting there, and they all of a sudden rolled out a flush. I mean they just got wildly lucky. Yeah. They got absolutely and, lucky. And it's all been Tomlin, though. It's been his leadership that was the calming voice that was able to right the ship. Yeah, they got they got an interesting schedule to close out the season, too. Uh, they've got the Cardinals this week, Buffalo next week, like we mentioned, Jets the week after, and then Ravens to close out the year. It's going to be a tough road for that final playoff spot, uh-huh. but I'm not doubting them. I mean, I was rooting for the Jets to get in just because that would have been a hell of a story from Monogate all the way back into the playoffs. I mean, they would have had one out to get in. So now that obviously they put up this daughter performance against Cincinnati, they're out. But now I'm cheering for this Pittsburgh team because that would be a hell of a story to write as the sixth seed that just goes to show it isn't just the talent. It is the coaching staff and it is the – the organization and how they ran, how they are ran. Yeah, you have to take a look at it like this too, to close out. The coaches win game. The structures win game. The players do their part. But for the Steelers, how's Le'Veon Bell doing in in the Jets? 
How's AB doing? You got rid of your drama and look the, look at the success now. Yeah. You have to look at that. Point. I mean, even Big Ben being gone helps too. Yeah, it helps because now you see what you got in, in uh, Hodges there. And I'm not saying he's the answer. Right. But if he's playing this well, you have to feel comfortable with him in there without Big Ben. I'm not saying they're going to make a super Cinderella story no. to the Super Bowl. No. But no. the fact they've gotten this far with the talent they have goes to show that the team outweighs the drama and outweighs the ego. And every time you have that, you're going to win. Cleveland should take notes. But let us know what you think. Chilling. Let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts about this past week of the NFL action? We definitely want to have that conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. From the galactic depths of the comic book universe comes the ghosts of the stratosphere, ready to galvanize and energize your mind with the latest of comic book news and reviews. And why, why are you stopping me? Yes, that's much better. Hi, this is Andy Larson for Ghosts of the Stratosphere. Join me every week along with my co-hosts Rob Stewart and Chad Smith as well as a cavalcade of fantastic comic book guests as we dish out heaping helpings of the greatest and latest of comic book news and reviews. New shows posted every Tuesday with bonus shows every first Friday of the month. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher under Ghosts of the Stratosphere as well as on our website www.gotstratosphere.com Hope to see you soon, folks. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we got to talk some UFC now, don't we? Yeah, he is back. They decided to not take the Thanksgiving week off. He is back, Coach. For he is back. Break it down for us. Conor McGregor mm-hmm. will be fighting Cowboy Cerrone. Yep, January eighteenth in Las Vegas, Nevada. Let's go. So thoughts around the panel on this one. Conor has returned. Well, I guess proper Irish twelve isn't doing so well. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I mean, listen, the promotion for it is uh, everywhere. So I, I think proper 12 is fine. I think the guy just wants to fight again. This is very interesting to me about the whole setup because Connor, let's face it, is still a notable name in the land of MMA. Sure. Or, yeah. Arguably the biggest name in the UFC. Arguably. I mean, I think, in my opinion, I think he's been overtaken by Nick or Nate Diaz. Mm, I don't know. Currently, I mean, currently, I think he has. But he has definitely carved his you know, niche in combat sports for being very outlandish, very, I will say, comical, and backing his arguments up most of the time, albeit though his last fight in the UFC, he was ran out the cage by Habib. All right. All right. I'm not going to stand for that. Let's calm down with that talk. Ran out of the cage. He chose to jump out of the cage. Okay? <laughs> he opted to do that. Okay? I'm saying he got absolutely mauled to death by Habib. Yeah. And then he was gone. 
and then we all didn't know what was going to happen well, say, after that. Say for those of you keeping track, uh, his last fight was on the 6th of October in 2018, so we are over one year uh, removed since his last fight. I mean, he had a suspension in there. He had time away. There's reasons he's been gone. Yeah. Sure, but it's not like his last break where he was preparing and getting ready for the fight against Floyd Mayweather. All right. And, okay, so you can excuse the last absence with, okay, he was doing the whole Floyd circus, but this time, no, it's, what were you doing? He was just <laughs> hanging mean, out and just kind of biding his time that he was calling out fighters. Getting left in bar and, fights? Yeah, left and right, and obviously he got in some legal trouble over in Ireland. That he hit. I mean, it's very easy to do. Yeah. Okay. But he got into a... a his fair share of drama and he's been out of the cage for a while and every time that there's a notable fight in the ufc he's quick to jump on twitter and call somebody out and he always says it's the big money fight so he finally has agreed to grace us with his presence coming back to the ufc in ufc 246 like pat touched about in january mm-hmm. and he's fighting at welterweight 170 it is going to be his third appearance at that weight class and i do not like this fight for him I do not like this at all. Donald Cowboy Cerrone, the man, the myth, the legend, anytime, anyplace, anywhere, does not care. He finally gets this fight. We'll say for those who aren't uh, aware, Nate Diaz, or not Nate Diaz, excuse me, Conor McGregor's record at the 170 weight class is 1-1. One one. He lost to Nate Diaz once and then beat him in the uh, second fight. Yeah, this is, like I say, this is a very big test for Connor. Yeah. At this yeah. Stage. It's yeah. a great fight for him. I, I think that this just I think it shows that he's ready to go up the weight class. You know, I mean, I mean maybe he's just tired of the cut that he had to do because I mean he probably walks around at one seventy ish. So I mean now the cut won't be so dramatic. He'll be able to be a little more comfortable going into the fight. And obviously, the the now the pace of the fight will change because when you're used to fighting at 155, and that speed and versatility that they have and they offer in that weight class is obviously going to be different than the 170. I still think though that he's going to be able to change gears. He's going to have to do something, but I don't like him fighting at 170. Right, I, I don't. No, I mean I don't disagree with you. I just I think that obviously there must be something that for him and his body. You know, in his camp, obviously, feel more comfortable him being at 170 than cutting at 155. No, I think what it comes down to, and maybe I'm going to go overthinking on this, but I'll be the first one to say it. Okay. I think he's coming to 170 because he wants to fight the winner of uh, Masvidal and uh, Nate Di- or Nick Diaz. I know they've been trying to put that fight together. Right. Mm-hmm. I think he wants to fight either one of those two gentlemen at 170. He should want nothing to do with Masvidal. I agree with you. Nothing. I ag- I fully agree that he should want absolutely nothing to do with that that fight. Me and a baseball bat want nothing to do with Masvidal. Here's the thing though with Connor. Connor's not like some of the other fighters in the UFC where they're about legacy fights. Sure. Like go like when they sit there and retire and they're you know sitting in Vegas and fight week and they're getting interviewed by oh here don't forget I'm the guy who beat and run through the list of guys I beat. Connor's going to be the guy sitting there going yeah I fought in the UFC had this many wins and made this much money. He's about the money fight and the big fights. Sure and I mean more power to him for being like that because in a day and age where it is get your money and get out too often guys try to pretend like it's not and i mean he's up front with it being that way i just i think that that fight for him where he is in his career is not smart no it's not but it's big money fight and that's where i'm essentially saying because if you want to flip it to what's there for him at 155 
Justin Gaethje is sitting there and waiting, and I guarantee you he would step up and fight him, and he'd probably knock the living snot out of Connor. Well, I, I, I guarantee Ken, you he's going to be at wait for that just in the off chance something 1,000%. Your foul language to Connor is <laughs> is disturbing at best right now. Please respect the king. I will respect the king when he okay. shows when he shows me a reason to Your respect him. Your blasphemy right it, now it, is is almost uh, un unruling. I'm just saying that him coming back at 170 against Cerrone is a great fight for him. Sure, but where he goes from this? What is so? What is Cerrone normally? When, Cerrone fluctuates between 155 and 170. Cerrone is what okay. the UFC needs him to be. Yeah, he he, he, <laughs> he has a tendency. He's shown up at fights at 185. Just he, waiting. To he go is in. Luis Soto of uh, UFC, mm-hmm. that utility guy. Okay. Yeah, he he basically shows up and he's ready to fight at any card. Perfect. He's at. No, Cerrone is a fighter's fighter. He is a the legend, Brooklyn brawler of the UFC. Yeah. He, I wouldn't say he's a jobber, so to speak, <laughs> in the wrestling terms. I mean, Cerrone has definitely had his fair share of opportunities, but he's just never captured a, a chance to get to a title I, shot. And the one time he did, he got uh, beat handily. I mean, for in all honesty, though. It, if Connor loses this fight and it's it's pretty possible. much just any right, and I know it is, but I mean legitimately, like if he loses this fight anyway, whether it's a, a draw split decision or just an outright, you know, Cerrone win. Good God, goodbye. I mean, you can't. How do you come back from this, even if it's a year absence? Yeah, where he would have to come back, and this is this would be where I would see this going. If he loses to Cerrone, he has to start back at one fifty five. He can't do one seventy. And, and almost immediately, not another two-and-a-half-year wait. Right. He needs to get back in the cage quick against somebody that's in the lower half of the top ten of the 155 division and work his way because he can't be riding on his name credit at this stage. Because at this point, his name credit isn't, oh, hey, he beat Nate Diaz, he beat Eddie Alvarez and was a you know champ champ. Now, no, his name credit now is... You threw a dolly at a bus in New York. You've gotten a fight with an elderly gentleman in a bar in Ireland. You know, it's more controversy than it is anything he's done in the octagon these days. That dolly, first off, f- slipped out of his hands. <laughs> and that punch to the old elderly man was clearly he was he slipped on some proper 12, you know, and landed fist first in the man's face. These are clearly incidences that are not on purpose. All right, listen here, Dennis. Oh, my God. You know, the thing of it is, though, the thing about it, though, if he had fought more than just Habib since 2018, okay, you could make the argument, okay, you'd think of him more of his record. But the fact he's got more, the fact that his Wikipedia, that I have to do a control F to search for his MMA record because he's got so much crap going on in his personal life kind of says something about what people remember about him. I mean, honestly, the, the, the Mayweather thing definitely knocked him off of whatever pedestal. Yeah. Whatever pound for pound of all time that he could have been. And it just, cause you can't just, you know, remove yourself from an octagon to fight boxing and then transition back. It's just too different too yeah, too, too opposite of each other because, and, and it just showed that because I mean, he just wasn't ready for Khabib. Period. No. no, he wasn't. And not to say that even if he had fought three fights in a row and had dominating performances that he could have gone in the octagon and beat Khabib because he probably still wouldn't have. At the end of the day, though, it would have helped. He needed to be consistently fighting MMA style. That's, exactly. That's, that's what it boils down to. But he didn't. He went for a payday against Floyd. Yep. I can't be mad that oh, he no. Not at all. No. no, he got his biggest payday he's ever seen in his life. And obviously... 
it created a bigger ego problem than I think he was even ready for and all the, <laughs> all the legal trouble like we touched upon, sure. starting to fight in the bar and doing all that nonsense. He got away from what made him Connor. He bought into this. All those media, things made him Connor, though, but, at the same all, time. All of them made him, but it just grew out of control where, right. you, where he, you would say that, okay, everybody loves when he cuts all these crazy promos and does all these wild stunts, but when you start taking it out of the cage and out of the press rooms and doing it in real life, you're now painting yourself in a different picture that you think you're untouchable and you're not because, let's face it, he faded away from the limelight yeah. that he wasn't the big, please save us, Connor, come back. Right. That he would have been two years prior. For, yeah. yeah, for sure. I, I mean, in comparison to uh, like a, a Rocky three yeah. type situation, you know, where it was the glitz and the glams and Rocky's living this rock and roll lifestyle with all this stuff. And, you know, meanwhile, Bubba, you know, Clubber Lang's over here training in this dark, dingy gym, just hungry. Yeah. You know, and sometimes, and I mean, Connor has since, you know, kind of pulled back a little bit from those kind of things. And maybe that groundedness is going to be able to what helps him get and be more focused now going into this fight in January. He needs to be because if he is not focused on fighting, Cerrone is going to kick punch his head off. Right. Yeah. That combo is going to knock him out in the first round. That is how serious Connor needs to be about this fight. I know Cerrone is on the twilight of his career, and he's yeah. riding off into the sunset. Got a lot of wear and tear on those tires. Yeah, but for Cerrone to walk out with this notch in his belt would be huge. And this so has been, been, in his mixed martial arts career, he has 50 matches. Exactly. Yeah. He has set records throughout the UFC for you know fight of the night bonuses and that whole nine. This would be the biggest fight in his history. And for him, this is a legacy fight. This is going to be something that will establish him at light years after he leaves because this fight has been getting planted from a press conference way back when Yeah, that Cerrone and Connor were going after each other. Yeah. So to say that this fight is not going to be a fully thing that Connor Cerrone's focused on is a joke. Cerrone is going to come in there ready as he's ever been. For Connor, he has to be laser-focused on this fight. He can't be on Twitter. He can't be doing any nonsense. He needs to be in his gym getting ready because I'll tell you what, Cerrone will be ready. If Connor wins, though, the question is where do you go from here? I think he's fighting at 170 so he can go for Masvidal, which I think is absolutely insane, and he should just avoid game bread at all costs. But the big thing he's seeing is, okay, if I beat Cerrone and I come back, I fight for the BMF title <laughs> just for – Glitz and glamour reasons. The Rock comes out with the belt. They're going to put it on in Vegas. This is going to go nowhere near New York. I will somewhere, tell you right somewhere, now. Somewhere Vince McMahon's ears are perking up for some reason. This will be one of the biggest fights in UFC history if they can sign it. Yeah. Without question. Yeah. Depending on what Masvidal wants to do. If Masvidal wants to wait for a title fight against the winner of Usman and Covington, he has the right to, and that's what I think he should do. But for Connor, that might be too enticing because that payday – Oh, yeah. Will be through the roof. Mm-hmm. And I think any of this nonsense that if Connor beats Cerrone, he gets the immediate rematch of the other fight that was announced for April. Yeah. I think is absolutely ludicrous. And I will break that down in a second. Because it was announced that Habib has agreed to fight Tony Ferguson in April. Hey. For the fifth attempt. For the fifth attempt. Put them both in bubble wrap. Oh, my God. This fight remove in, remove the cords from the household already like anything like childproof the home please for the love of God and the chirping's already started yeah Ferguson is going all in 
and he needs to. And I won't believe this fight is going to happen. And I know I've said it before, but I'll say it again. I won't believe this fight is happening until I hear Bruce Buffer making the announcement and his whole spiel at the beginning of the I fight. I agree. You because have- how many how many times have we been here that they announce this fight and we go, yes, finally. And then we get a week or two out and it's, oh, hey, Tony Ferguson got injured. Oh, hey, Habib got injured. Fight's off. We were a week away. And then the Brooklyn incident happened. Uh-huh. I mean, let's all not forget about that. This fight has been long dreamed upon. Tony Ferguson, cardio for days, crazy striking, good wrestling. Habib, arguably the, one of the goats right now. And just look at his track record. Nobody's figured out his Sambo style. He goes in there. He mauls you. He basically takes you down. You don't get back up. The UFC has tried to book this thing once a year since 2015. Right. Because it's the fight that needs to happen. And I don't know how we can pull this off without somebody getting hurt. I really don't. But, like I said, put him in bubble wrap. Put him in carbonite. Whatever you need well, to yeah, do. F- you know, Habib got injured in 2015. Tony got injured in 2016. Habib got injured in 2017. Tony got injured in 2018. Yeah. They all find a way to get hurt somehow. So I think this is why Dane is pushing this fight off as long as he is. Because you think about it. We're talking December right now. Yep. It's for April. It's five months away. Mm-hmm. Why do you think they're doing that? So if there's any injuries. That they can get somebody else in there. Well, I know they already have somebody lined up, and that's Justin Gaethje. Oh. Gaethje's just hanging out right now waiting for his next fight because I have not heard anything officially that he's going to fight Poirier. I don't know if they would try sliding him into a fight if Connor or Cerrone gets hurt. I don't think he'd go up to 170. No. But Gaethje has a lot of time on his hands. And knowing him, he'll probably pick up a fight in the meantime. But I could see him also waiting to see if somebody got hurt. And that's a fight that could have a lot of impact because if Connor go, going back to Connor, if Connor beats Cerrone, there's talk that he would immediately get a rematch against the winner of Habib and Ferguson. I don't see that happening. No. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to imagine. I mean, unless it's uh, if Khabib loses, then I might you might see him step in, and if he wins and it's a dominating win, then maybe they'll give him a shot at Ferguson. But I don't. I don't I just don't see how I, you yeah, can put the two of them back in together. I don't. I don't see it happening either, unless Connor goes out and does something absolutely wild, like, and I'm not talking like you know five second knockout wild, but like knocks Cerrone out in like the first two minutes. He'd have to do something crazy like that, and I know the fight hype would go through the roof. But no, you can't put him in there against the winner of Habib and, and Tony. You can't have him leave, leave no, the division. No, I'm sorry. Beating Cerrone would be a big move. It would be if he'd fought there consistently. You might be able to make the case, but the fact that he's fought and then ran. Twice lends me to say no. You can't leapfrog the division. You can't. There's too many fighters in 155 to to do that too, especially at this stage. Because Connor, let's face it, this is a redemption tour. Yeah, this is a lot like John Jones when John came back. Different circumstances. Yeah, but, but this is going to be a fight that Connor needs to win. Because if he doesn't, the the hype is gone. Essentially, essentially, Connor disappears, Coach. I know he's bringing a tear to your eye and an no, anger mean, to your fist with me saying this, but you can't deny facts. I mean, as much as I was mocking the situations earlier, I mean yeah. that's that's a fact. You just can't. What can you say? I mean, if he loses and then this all happens, like what do you do with him next, other than some sort of legacy GSP, you know, BJ Penn type situation where you just bring him in for that lucrative money fight and then try to. Milk the cow while it's still got something left, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I w- I'd be fully okay if, if he lost this, him fight Aldo at 155. Just do something like that. Except I heard Aldo's trying to drop to 135, which I think is absolutely insane. Lord have mercy. I heard something about that. I got to get a little co- more confirmation. 
Either way, Cerrone is back. Or Cerrone has always been here, but Connor is back. Final thoughts on this while we close this out. Uh, really excited for the fight. You know, I hope Connor shows me something. You know, he's a great fighter. You know, one of the best, but you got to show me some consistency. None of this, like, one fight, and then, all right, I'm gone for two years. I mean, I will be tuned in. I mean, there's not many fighters right now that I get up for. You know, him and John, really. Are, and I mean, a Khabib-Ferguson fight will just because of the the – greatness that is potentially there but you know really outside of john it's really you know connor's the only other guy that i really get into right now just the way the ufc is it's just that's how it is for me so i'm very excited for this fight i hope as a connor guy he wins because i'm very fear of the outcome if he loses this is going to be an interesting moment for the ufc and mma connor arguably one of the biggest stars they've ever had obviously has taken some public black eyes and has wounded that image that we don't know where his mind truly is. All we know is he's assigned to show up in January to fight Donald Cerrone. What Connor are we going to get? Are we going to get the one that came in and lit the UFC on fire and became the champ champ? Or are we going to get the one that thinks he can run away and do whatever he wants and he thinks that he is the straw that stirs the UFC drink? Because, quite frankly, that fighter has been gone for a good two, three years now. Mm-hmm. We don't. He doesn't exist right now. So who is going to be Conor McGregor when he steps in that cage? And if he wins, where does he go from here? Because he doesn't call his own shot. I think he's foolishly going to be looking for Masvidal. And I think foolishly is the biggest word about that equation. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Conor McGregor's back. What's your thoughts? We want to know. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. These days, comic book stories are more mainstream than ever. Unfortunately, not everybody has the means to be able to consume all of this greatness well. If you were to join me, Brian Wayne, on the Cheers to Comics podcast, I will help guide you through the rabbit hole that is comic books. Whether you're a brand new reader that just walked out of the latest blockbuster summer Marvel movie event and just have to know the source material, or you're an old dog and just want to get a different perspective from another reader, this is the podcast for you. And when I say comic book podcast, this is a comic book podcast. No filler material. I save all of the the movie talk and all of the stuff outside of the illustrated written world of comic books for all of the other podcasts out there. This is for comic book junkies and aspiring comic book junkies only. So tune in with me, Brian Wayne, three times a week. We'll be going over dozens and dozens of books in an overviewed fashion, not necessarily a review manner. But beyond that, I hype you up every week on the books coming out on the the next week coming, as well as a bonus episode. And that could be anything from me dedicating an entire episode to uh, a single story arc, or potentially even a kick-ass interview with a bad-ass comic book creator. So if any or all of that tickles your little fancies, join me, Brian Wayne, and the rest of Slurred Nation on the Cheers to Comic Podcast as I kick back drinks and drop all types of comic book knowledge. Cheers. It's a
Hey, this is Vince, the Common Man Toy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Coach, you wanted to talk some basketball. The thoughts, views, and opinions of that of Coach Duffy are that of Coach Duffy and do not represent the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour in any way, shape, or form, unless I agree with them. So take it away, Coach. God, the Knicks suck. <laughs> they suck. This is brutal. I thought that they were going to hover around 500. I thought, man, maybe they'll mess around and get a 7 or 8 seed. They are abysmal. Uh, for those keeping track at home, the Knicks are four and seventeen. Oh God! And not even a like, oh man, you know, a couple bad breaks here or there. Four and seventeen. They are a bad four and seventeen. They suck. Yeah, listener discretion is advised with this too because we are oh. going to be going off about this. It's so it's so frustrating. I mean, they have to fire Fisdale. Yeah, I don't like to talk like this because it is another man's job. But they have no choice. They have to do it. This team is completely lost, to put it in a nice manner. Because, truthfully, they get on the court and it is a mess from tip-off to final buzzer. I mean, just from stats, they for their own team, they are last in points uh, with score, averaging 100.9 points per game. They are last in their own field goal percentage, uh, averaging 42.2% field goals per game. And take a and take a look at who's last in the West in comparison, Pad. Well, coach is talking here. I mean, the thing this is what kills me, and we talked about this two weeks, three weeks ago on the show. Fizdale was brought in because his friendship and and connection that he had to LeBron, mm-hmm. that he was going to be able to be a player's coach, was going to be able to get, um, you know, these guys in, these star free agents in, and they struck out two years in a row, and then you go out and you make these signings, and you know they're. Randall, Portis, Taj Gibson was a weird one. But you go out and you make these signings. Uh, Marcus Morris, who they stole from San Antonio. And now you look at the way that this team's playing. And now you look at the way things are going. And it's like, now, you know, Kevin Knox, who was supposed to be a building block of this team, can't get on the court. And Fizdale's answers for is, he's got to earn his way back in the rotation. All right. Respect that. You know, you're putting the mm-hmm. tough love on the, the second-year player, not just handing him his role. All right, cool. Then Mark Morris gets hurt and he's not playing. You start Kevin Knox. So you literally go from, all right, the man's got a, out of the rotation the night before to now he's starting and going to play 20-plus minutes. Where, where's the where's the message sent in that? I, you don't have a choice. He, he cannot – if he can't bring in the free agents – he can't coach this team. You gotta fire him. Yeah, and since I know you brought it up, Ken, uh, the team in last place in the Western Conference is currently the team in last place in the entire NBA. That is the Golden State Warriors, who are currently four and eighteen. Now you're saying, "Oh, boo-hoo, Why aren't we, you know, poo-hooing the, the Warriors?" The Warriors have something. It's now, admittedly, it's not on the court. Their starting five isn't what you would expect it to be. You know, they lost uh, their last game against the Atlanta Hawks, one hundred four seventy nine. But here are their starting five: Eric Pascal, uh, Kevin Looney. Uh, Glenn Robinson the third, uh, Willie Cauley Stein, and then lastly was Alec Burks. Uh, did I mention Clay Thompson? 
No. Did I mention Draymond Green? Nope. Did I mention Steph Curry? Nope. There you go. Like, the Knicks are bad. We all agree on that. I think most sports fans will agree on that. Yes, the Warriors are bad, but admittedly, their big three isn't there. Yeah, there's reasons they're bad. Right. And the, there's no, I mean, this, when you look at the way the, this roster is constructed, Mitchell Robinson last year was a budding superstar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, you know, a defensive center who can put up buckets. Yeah. You know, then you had um, Kevin Knox, who arguably did not have a great rookie season, but was not as bad as what people were expecting him to be when he was drafted with the ninth pick overall, right? Mm-hmm. You know, then you bring in R.J. Barrett, who arguably right now, I mean, is doing things that only some rookies, uh, like nine other rookies have done before him. You know, and I get that he's kind of being outshined by right now by Jay Morant, who's playing terrific, terrific basketball in Memphis. And outside of that, though, I mean, R.J. Barrett would be Rookie of the Year hands down. Right. You know, and Dennis Smith Jr. regressed a little bit, obviously had, you know, some issues, you know, family issues with his, uh, uh, his uh, sister passing. Uh and then, you know, the injury that he had from his back going into this year. Right. Then, you know, you got Nilakina, who, you know, Ken and I, we don't love him. No. But you know what he does? He plays hard. He, pl- he, he tries, and he gives 100% every, every night, night. Every night. So I, I can't be mad about that. And Luka Doncic has been terrorizing the NBA. You know the two games that he's had his worst performances? Against the Knicks. Against the Knicks. And guess who's covering him? Frankie. Frank Nilakina. So it's like, all right. He's not a 3 and D guy because he's not consistent enough to, th- to score. But by God, he'll play defense for you. So you got to get him on the court somehow. And, and and I know that I killed Frank three weeks ago, but I'm sorry. That was a bad take. I was wrong. Frank can definitely play in this NBA. He's got to learn how to score. You cannot not score in today's NBA. But he can play defense. And by God, this is what this team needs. Then you flip over to the veterans. Randall coming off a career year last year in New Orleans, who was let go because obviously Zion came in in the trade that they made with the Lakers. You thought, all right, he's a walking bucket. He's Carmelo Anthony 2.0. Yeah. Except a bad version of Carmelo Anthony because he doesn't shoot the three consistently enough. You know, then you Bobby Portis had a serviceable year at Washington. You thought, all right, he's obviously going to play center. Where's he been? other than taking minutes away from Mitchell Robinson. And then Marcus Morris, who had a great year coming off the bench in Boston. I had uh, talked to to, uh, a Knicks uh, fan Twitter page and said I thought Morris should come off the bench because Kevin Knox should start and Morris is better at coming off the bench. It's not easy to be able to adapt to come off the bench. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Jamal Crawford made a, a career out of it. You know, J.R. Smith had been able to do it. But once you change your mentality of coming off the bench into the starting lineup, you know, you might not play as well. And for Kevin Knox to be a second-year player who started his entire career, it's not easy to adapt to now coming off the bench being that sixth man. Marcus Morris already had that. You know, and just because you're the sixth man doesn't mean you're not going to get minutes. You're going to log minutes. Now he's coming over, and now Knox isn't playing, which is not the answer. And then you come out and you, you... are four and seventeen, and then when you get interviewed, you, I mean, you look lost. Fisdale looks lost right now when he's talking to the media. He reminds me of Tony Khan after AEW shows. I, I was gonna say like McAdoo, no, after yeah. Giants games. If you want to go that route, sure. I mean, who else could it be? And this is the problem. In in I think this is the most telling thing because now 
from watching McAdoo's interviews to watching Schumer's interviews to now Fisdale interviews, you can tell when a guy is cracking. Mm-hmm. Schumer right now is cracking. Yeah. Because when you go into an interview with the New York media and your answers are just popcorn, rigmarole, you know, everyday answers of, well, we got to play better basketball or, well, you know, uh, we're still trying to figure things out, blah, blah, blah. Those are causes for concerns. That's when you know a man is starting to lose his mental fortitude. You didn't say watch the tape, though. <laughs> I was waiting on that Jesus. one. Jesus, I forgot about that one for a second. It's just – and now this is where I want to go with this conversation. As Knicks fans, Ken, growing up in the 90s, we saw the the epitome of what Knicks basketball was. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the, even the early 2000s when Dolan first did buy the team – and they made that magical run in 2001 when Ewing, you know, unfortunately got injured and they just didn't have it anymore going into that series against San Antonio, you know? To even the Stefan Marbury era where, you know, the sun came back home and, you know, it was a honeymoon phase that first couple of years and they made the playoff run. To then Carmelo, the sun returning home again and that narrative. When as Knicks fans do we finally say enough is enough and stop supporting this team? Because what we are getting, I mean, this is an abusive relationship. Yeah, no. Because we give and give and give. I mean, arguably, you should have said it during the Isaiah Thomas years when he was president of the team. But let's be honest, that was a decade ago. Right. And, I mean, that, but even though they were bad then and there were some really bad performances, you know, you still had guys like Stephon Marbury and Jamal Crawford who were giving it all they had on the court. You know, obviously, the the fallout with Stephon Marbury was very... uh, out there in the open yeah. and yeah but then then they came back though and, and you know they brought in uh they brought in uh god is the gm's escaping me but they brought in donnie Nel- not donnie nelson but donnie uh donnie walsh. walsh and they brought in uh the coach for houston that mike d'antoni and there was that honeymoon phase again you know amari stoudemire came in they're gonna be okay you know and then, boom, you know, they shit on us again. And it's like, that's what always happens. So when do we finally, as Knicks fans, say enough is enough? Uh, Knicks record, coaching records since 2001 because of Jeff Van Gundy coached 96 to 2001. And I can't break it down into 2000, 2001 for him. But from Don Shaney on, uh, their head coaching record total is 564 and 877. Pad with a stat. In, in 18 years. That's... that. It's unacceptable. And, 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 and if you want to get specific, they've had 13 head coaches since the turn of the century. And I can tell you how many playoff play appearances they've had since then because the answer is three. Yeah, the problem is we as Knicks fans will still support the team. Right. Which we always will do. That's the problem. That we are going to sit there and take this because we buy into the hype that this is fixable. And it is. But the problem stems from the top down. We talk about cultures in sports. We talk about structure in sports. Look at the Knicks. The Dolan era has not done it. We have a one feel-good story where we're bringing back Marbury. We're bringing back Carmelo. Amari Sotomayor, the Knicks are back. Remember that press conference? We buy into that hype yep. because we buy into that dream. The problem is the rest of the team doesn't manage out, and that's where we get tied up with one player that's supposed to be the superstar to bring us back. Have we not looked at the rest of the NBA? I'm not saying we need to form a super team like Voltron, but we need more players that are willing to sacrifice their shots, their minutes, 
play together and win. This is how the blueprint was built in Miami with the big three. Well, and arguably Boston before them. Well, yeah, you can argue with Boston. You know, but the thing of it is, though, you bring a player into New York, you know, you want their lasting memory to be longer than the player introductions of their first home game like it was with Carmelo. Right. Because outside of the warm, loving reception he got for that first player introduction when he made his debut at home against the, the at home in the garden. What else do you remember about it? I, I mean, here's this is my thing for me personally. When Dolan sees the revenue and he still sees that they are one of the most valued NBA franchises, the Garden is sold out Monday through Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got no problem selling tickets. When he sees that on his sheets, what is there to worry about? Oh, he's not worried Ex- because he's he's not an invested for the sport. He's invested for the business. Right, exactly. Which, which hey, that is what an owner does. But exactly, it's the same. And let's compare it to like you know wrestling real quick. Yeah. With WWE, no matter how bad the product is, as long as the ratings are good and the revenues there, Vince is never going to listen to you as a fan because ultimately, at the end of the day, his pockets are padded. But when you start to take that away, and this is what happened in the Giants game when the Green Bay fans were louder than the Giants fans, that is what the that's what the ownership hears, and that's what it's going to take. It's literally going to take fans finally saying enough is enough, and we're going to boycott the Garden. The that's what it needs to be. The Forbes list of the 2019 10 most valuable sport, sports franchises uh, was published back in July. Uh, and, and this doesn't just include sports teams from the United States. It includes sports teams from around the world. Uh, starting at number one, you have the Dallas Cowboys wor- uh, worth $5 billion. Number two, New York Yankees, $4.6 billion. Number three is Real Madrid at $4.24 billion. Uh, also, number four is uh, uh, Barcelona at $4.02 billion. Number five. New York Knicks, $4 billion. I'm, so what is the, there for Dolan to do when you're number five on the Forbes list, making $4 billion? The, and then the, the thing, the article I'm reading from Business Insider notes, uh, they busted into the top five, growing 11% on last year. And that is where the problem, For what? Well, that's where the problem is because yeah. we all buy into the hype that when Zion was coming... The Knicks were going to change. It was going Zion to be big was thing. coming. Kyrie was coming. Yeah. yeah, because it was all set up to happen, and when it didn't, we didn't have a plan B. Right, that, that is what it is. So now it's we buy into the the false hope that Giannis is coming over in two seasons from Milwaukee. I know. Well, here we are again doing the same thing. Yeah, that they're going to go out and they're going to get um, Mariah, uh, Uriah from the, Toronto, the guy who you know the Knicks tried to get from Denver, and he ultimately burned the Knicks for Toronto. Yeah, he's, he's not, coming. not coming. He's not coming. Why would you want to come? Like, I mean, when uh, Walsh came from Indiana to the Knicks, he had a love for the Knicks. Yeah, he he was openly adamant about his you know growing up being a Knicks fan. So there was nothing more that he wanted to do with them rebuild this team, yeah. which ultimately was stabbed in the back for doing it, which that, was not fair at all because what he did was almost save the Knicks. He almost did, and that's the problem that we almost get to we get to a place where we're almost there. We just need something to get over the hump. But that's why we go and support the team. We don't jump ship. I I, I'm not I saying jump no, no, ship. I, I know you're not yeah. saying that. I'm just saying we as a fan base. 
We get to that point where we're just frustrated. It's like, what are we going to do now? Because now we are the worst team in the NBA. Golden State has an excuse for why they're last. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, and that was why I brought them up because everybody was saying, oh, well, Golden State's down. Golden State's down. They have injuries. Golden State knew going into this year that this was going to be a down year. Exactly. Like, we were sitting here before the season started like, hey, listen, rest of the NBA, if you want to capitalize on Golden State not being good, this is the year to do it. Right. And this is where their structure and their culture is riding that ship out. For the Knicks, it's a shrug, and we look at the statements. But this is where the Knicks fans need to get vocal. They need to be vocal at the games. Right. Because this is where if you start uh, sell the team chant. Or booing. Or booing or whatever the case is. We've had precedence. It doesn't where, It doesn't need to be booing the team either. No. Just booing in general will yeah. speak volumes. Because that is how the message gets sent. Because it starts from the top down. If we start losing the back page of the post and the daily news... That's when we start seeing some change happen. It's all about how the media spins it. Right. And it all depends on who hears that message. That's where the problem is. So if you're a frustrated Knicks fan, this is where you need to get out there and go to the games. You gotta be vote you gotta be vote. You have to we can't we're we're in Binghamton. We yeah. can't get to the garden. We need you guys in the garden to do that for us. Yeah. Because ultimately it's not going to be us on a podcast covering this isn't gonna change anything. It's going to be the media changing the back page to Brooklyn. It's going to be the fans base, you know, not openly clapping or going and buying merchandise and p- putting this franchise in the top five most lucrative franchises on Forbes list. You know what it's going to take? You ever see the movie PCU? No. No. Okay, watch PCU. Okay. It's going to take a public act where Dolan gets the message and gets shown up on TV. That like the chants are so loud, right? You can't escape it, and you're hearing it. That's when something's going to spark it. The the only shining glimmer of hope that I have right now is that somewhere, Perry and Mills, the Ben and Jerry's of general managers, that they have this plan where they're trying to follow in Philadelphia's footsteps. Because yeah, all right, we might have you know buried our. Uh, Chances at free agency next year, which is not a very good class of free agency anyway. Yeah, we don't so worry not, about next year. Not worried about that, but somewhere, somehow, I'm hoping that you know. All right, Fizdale leaves, and Gruden or Gruden, um, Jeff Van Gundy comes back. I mean, I I hope to God this this is my best case scenario. Jeff Van Gundy comes back. No, oh. they ride out next year. Maybe they trade. You know, Marcus Morris. Or Randall, you know, at the trade deadline, uh, you know, get some sort of asset back, whether it be, you know, uh, expiring contract or, you know, draft pick. And they go out and they get Cole Anthony because, to me, Cole Anthony is the 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 Zimba of, mm. of uh, college basketball right now. I mean, he's the last piece of old Knicks heritage. You know, he he embraces that. You know, he is that that is in his blood. That is in his DNA. Is that 1990s bully ball? You know, Greg Anthony was a big part of that Knicks mm-hmm. roster. Oh yeah, not very long. You know, but he had a very. But you embrace the culture, right? And he embraces that culture. And, and Greg Anthony is a part of that culture. And you know, when you watch Cole Anthony play, and, I mean, we're Duke fans, mm-hmm. and I I go out of my way now to watch North Carolina because I love to watch Cole Anthony play basketball because he plays with that mentality in today's game. Yeah, you know, because it, you can't play bully ball anymore. But he has that that you see that '90s Knicks mentality when he goes out and plays, 
And I think that him coming to the garden and, you know, him being able to be held up over the mountaintop and, you know, that, that Lion King music playing, you know, I, I think would be a moment in Madison Square Garden that would capti- captivate the world. Gonna, I know it wouldn't captivate the world, but in my brain, this is how it's playing out. What it's going to come down to is the Knicks need to find lightning in a bottle somewhere. But see, but look what I'm doing right now. I'm romanticizing the turnaround. Oh, yeah, and no. And that is our problem. We're, we're, you wrote, we, I sat here and listened to you guys romanticize the fact you were going to get KD, Kyrie, and, and Zion, and you went 0 for 3. Yeah. Well, listen, R.J. Barrett's a fine second place. Yeah. Right, and I agree with that. But <laughs> the Knicks fans at large, not just on the show, but in the tri-state area, for the better part of nine months, Pad, we're sick. We're getting KD. We're, we're getting Kyrie. We're getting Zion. But you things know are going to be better. We're going to go. We're going to contend. We're all sick. And you're sitting here in last place. But I'll sit here and say, I'm glad we didn't get Kyrie. I'm yeah. glad. Yeah. Thank I'll, God. I'll say 1,000. percent Yeah. KD. We, KD. We don't know what we're going to get. So it might have been a blessing in this guy's. I mean, we are. Say. We are as fan as a fan base, and I can say we because we are the fan base. Yeah. We're all sick. Yeah. Like we're all we are gluttons and suckers for punishment because. We again, it's just abusive relationship. We get just the worst end of the stick while the Knicks just make oogles amount of money. Dolan swims in a pool of hundreds, and we're just outside looking for scraps. It is definitely not it's sick. It's it, so depressing. It's, it's oh, just got to have some, myself again. Yeah, it's just got to have some answers that we got to figure. But Cole out. Anthony, oh, he'll come in. He'll he'll change the culture. Jeff Van Gundy will come back. Could you imagine if if they hire Ewing? And Cole Anthony, coach, I think we're gonna use the hashtag "Open the window." So, and then maybe they'll maybe they'll retire Anthony Mason's jersey, and it will be just a shining ceremony. And then Oakley will be allowed back in the garden, and you know, you're the, real delusional. Then, yeah, you're, then John you're, you're, Starks you're. will come back, and it'll just be a '90s reunion all over again. Coach Dunn lost his mind. This is why we put up the viewer uh, discussion. Co- coaches, maybe, discussion maybe, right. they, and can we get Charles Smith back in the garden? Huh? Let, let's, uh, let's bring it back to reality here. I mean, if the Knicks fans are going to make one, Herb Williams. If if the Knicks are going to make a no, fans are going to make noise Fuck. to get noticed, like you guys are suggesting, like we've seen with the Redskins fans down in the Washington, it, it's going to take something outside of a game on MSG. Because let, I'm sorry, games on MSG are a self-contained bubble. You know, it's not going to reach out on that. You got one opportunity, but, but the wa- the one winning. the one home game. The Knicks have that are that is on national television is January tenth, it's a Friday at home against the New Orleans Pelicans. It's on ESPN. Outside that, their only other nationally televised game is on TNT the day after December or day after Christmas, excuse me, and it's in Brooklyn. Well, I'll tell you what, I bet you Zion's not going to be playing that game against New Orleans, and and RJ Barrett will be there. So there's that. Right, but the game's still going to be on ESPN, and if the fans are loud enough and they boo enough, because let's be honest, January 10th is a... Oh, right, right, right. It's yeah, a, right, it's a month away. Saying. Things could get real ugly between now and then. It's going to be something to watch. <sighs> it just sucks. Hey, shout out Carmelo Anthony, Player of the Week. Yeah. Carl. Yeah. He's, he's, it sucks. It just... I I mean, I've come to grips with I'll probably never see Notre Dame win a championship in my lifetime because it's just not realistic. The Giants have won several Super Bowls in my life. The Yankees, even though I'm not a big baseball guy, still cheer for them, have won several World Series in my lifetime. The Rangers have won one Stanley Cup. I will probably never see the Knicks win anything. And that sucks because I love basketball so much, and I'll never get to see it. It's going to be an interesting narrative to play out, but what is the good answer for this? How how do you fix the Knicks? 
That's Cole good. Anthony. That'll be the question we pose Jeff here. Jeff Van Gundy. On ODPH. So Oakley back in the garden. Join in those conversations. Retire Anthony Mason's jersey. Coach has lost his mind, so definitely hit him up, <laughs> hit, hit him up on at Coach Duffy 11 and he will definitely interact with you about this. I just – fuck, it sucks. Yeah, we have no answers for this. But we have to say, though, with the rest of the NBA taking off, I mean, Milwaukee's been on a win streak. Yeah. The Lakers have been on fire. Hey, Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony's improving. Good for him. Hey, let's end on a positive note. Carmelo Anthony, huh? Good for him. Yeah. From retirement to now player of the week, from, guys. From near retirement. I mean, that's a he might finish in the top five for MVP voting as of today. Could be. It could happen. December. Yeah, for the week of December, sure. For the week of December. Because <laughs> that's about as far as it lasts. But he's going to make it through Christmas. So, I mean, that's the yeah. thing. I think he stays at this point. Hey, might make it to the All-Star break. That's bah, what bah, we're bah. thinking. We're thinking. He's definitely shown the improvement. But for the Knicks, they got to just be sitting no, there watching how the rest of the league is doing. And bring come up back negativity. Stay positive. Carmelo. Giannis is playing great. He bodied Randall last night. Literally zipped him up old school Undertaker style in a freaking body bag last night. Go out of your way and watch the highlight of that. Oh, I definitely will. See, now you got me talking negative again. Carmelo's player of the week, guys. So that's been Coach Duffy's rant about the NBA life. Hit him it up. sucks. Let him know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jimmy Gazdick from Crimson Brethren and Floodlands, and you're listening to ODPH. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast Pad. What you got for the local minute? Well, local minute, of course, we are talking Binghamton Devils hockey. Uh, looking at their games from last week, uh, their game at home on Friday against the Senators, they lost by a final score of 6-2. to two. Uh, Then they had a home game against the Syracuse Crunch on Friday where they lost in overtime by the final score of 4-3. to three. Looking ahead to their games this coming week, on Friday, uh, December 6th, they've got a, a away game up in Providence against the Bruins. Game time, 7 o'clock. And then Saturday, they travel up to Hartford to play the Wolfpack. Game time 7.30 p.m. Uh, they do not return home until uh, the 14th of December to play. Lord, they play these guys a lot. Uh, the Utica Comets, which should note is Teddy Bear Toss Night. Yeah, which, I mean, shout out to Hershey yes. for doing their Teddy Bear Toss. Holy cow. What, over 40,000 Teddy Four, Bears? 45,000, I want to say. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. Such a noble idea. It was, it was, and it's a great video to watch because, you know, you see all the Teddy Bears Toss. You know all those Teddy Bears are going to a great place. And to me, it's just funny to watch the players all skate off the ice and go sit on the bench because they're like, yeah, we're going to be here a minute. Yeah. Even, even if Binghamton sells out. They couldn't get 4500 uh, I don't know. I was there for a teddy bear toss a number of years ago. Now, granted, it wasn't 45000 but it was a decent amount. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see. Yeah. So, obviously, BinghamtonDevils.com for more information on our local team, but shout-out to Hershey for pulling that yeah. one off. Coach Bulldogs. I'm just Mr. Negativity today. Yeah. I'm going to read this directly from their Facebook page here. Binghamton blows a 116-100 lead with – Four and a half minutes to go, scoring Oof. only five points the rest of the way as they take their first loss of the season. Binghamton losing to the Oneana Octane, one twenty-two to one twenty-one. Was the mid nineties Reggie Miller playing for him? Good lord! Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, I guess. Well, I read in the comments that these uh, this Oneana Octane team actually took it to Syracuse, yeah. and were up six midway through the third quarter. So, I mean, obviously, this Oneana team. Maybe teams are, you know, they sleep on them a little bit. Oneana catches them by surprise. Obviously was able to seal the deal, though, against Binghamton. They must have fell asleep at the wheel here. A tough break and a bad loss. Tough break and awful loss. Awful. Unexcusable. 
you, there's no way to sugarcoat it. I mean, as as ownership put themselves, yeah, it's it was unexcusable. Yeah, and obviously heading into the big showdown with Syracuse, countdown to Cuse is still mm-hmm. on. That was a bad loss to take. We're we are almost a, exactly a month away here. Right. Yeah. So, so right they around got the some corner, work to do. They are hosting Elmira, and they have, I believe that they have yet to have a road game, right? No, not yet. Yeah, that's crazy. So uh, another home game here uh, next Saturday, December seventh at seven o five. They are hosting Elmira uh, again. This will be at St. Patrick Gym over in Binghamton, seven o five start time. And for more information, go to binghamtonbulldogs.com or check their very very active Facebook. Absolutely. That being said, let's go around these bases and take it home. Pad, what you got? Got to talk a little baseball. Now, people might be wondering, hey, what's the latest with the Houston Astros? Uh, nothing. Nothing's really going on with that. And I had somebody ask me about this uh, today. You know, a little surprised I hadn't heard anything. I think that's just baseball, no pun intended, covering their bases on this because I think they want to uncover everything, get to the bottom of everything, get it done before spring training because you, Lord knows you don't want this, you know, leaking or going on into the next season. But I also think they want it every stone turned and every you know possibility looked at because I don't think they want a scenario where five, six months down the road where they, they hand out the punishment, whatever it ends up being, and then you know ESPN or The Athletic or somebody comes out and goes, hey, here's six more instances of the Astros cheating during that season. Yeah. So nothing to go with there. However, I'm going to be talking some Yankees news because uh, hot stove is going on. Yankees obviously need some pitching. Uh, the reports are that they have met with Garrett. They're going to meet with Garrett Cole, a uh, free agent pitcher, of course, who pitched the last season with the uh, Houston Astros. Uh, went 20-5 and five with an AL American League best 2.50 ERA. Uh, going to meet reports are they were are, are going to meet with him today as we record and they are going to be meeting with Steven Strasburg reports say on Wednesday uh, Strasburg of course with the world champion Washington Nationals last year went 18 and 6 with a 3.32 ERA uh, both guys I would say would look great in pinstripes however they're going to come at a bit of a price uh, Ken you will understand this more than I do do you have any idea who their agent is Scott Boris uh-huh uh, if there's anything baseball fans know about Scott Boris, he does not come cheap. No, he is not. Uh, for reference, uh, he was uh, he represented Alex Rodriguez. Yes, for the first multi-billion-dollar contractor. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the precedent has been set for the Bryce Harpers and the Mike Trouts. Yep. Boris is the one who kicked in the door with a Rod way back when. Uh-huh. So this is not going to be a costly no. That's not going to be saver by yeah. Any it's means. not going to be cost effective. No, definitely not. So interesting to see as the off season progresses. Yep, coach. College football playoffs. 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 Uh, rivalry Rivalry week just wrapped up, so the last final regular season week of college football. And as we are sitting here recording the show, the f- uh, playoff bracket has uh, the playoff standings, I should say, just came out. Uh, your top four teams have not changed with Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, and Georgia. Rounding out the first two out are Utah and Oklahoma. With uh, you know Ohio State obviously in a big game for the Big Ten championship against Oklahoma, LSU will be playing Georgia in the SEC title game. So you got to think that you know an LSU loss, they'll probably still be in. Uh, with a Georgia loss, they'll probably get bumped out of the top four. With the winner, I got to imagine of the Big Ten uh, getting in. Not I, I don't see the Pac-12 um, 
getting into the playoffs, even though I know Utah's five. Uh, then just rounding out the top ten, you got Baylor, Wisconsin, Florida, Penn State. Alabama fell all the way to 12th I mean, yeah. after I mean, their loss. I mean, listen, Alabama not making it to the national title game means very good things for my Patriots. I mean, I also am okay with it because I'm tired of it. Uh, <laughs> so are we all. Yeah, and uh, rounding out in the top 15, uh, just because I want to mention them because I do love them so dearly, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Oh, there you go. Well, it's going to be an interesting playoff push here. I mean, LSU you can't go wrong with. No, no I mean, I, I honestly, I don't see many things changing. I don't see Georgia winning, you know, beating LSU. So, uh, again, I think they fall out. I really think that Oklahoma is going to end up jumping Utah to get that seed. And, I mean, I, obviously I, I see it, Ohio State and LSU. Uh, Clemson, I don't know. I mean, the ACC was so down this year that they just didn't have any competition. No. So I don't know. I mean, if they have to play, like if LSU has to play Clemson, I really think LSU can beat them. Mm-hmm. If LSU, if Clemson falls to four miraculously somehow, some way, I think Ohio State will absolutely obliterate them. This Ohio State team is no joke. No, Chase Young. Chase, oh, God. I mean, the real deal. Yeah. Uh, the real deal. And then, you know, hopefully I, I've seen talks of Notre Dame being anywhere from the Orange Bowl possibly, outside shot, all the way to the Camping World Bowl uh, with a potential uh, game against Alabama, which would be a lot of fun from, you know, a Notre Dame standpoint to be able to at least finish and play against the top five you know, perennial top five, uh, you know, and obviously power five conference team. Uh, hopefully another win against the SE team in a bowl game. That would be nice, but we'll see. And, uh, you know, it's been a really good college football season. I mean, if you haven't watched any of this year, I would recommend watching these championship games. They're always, you know, the Pac-12 rival championship games, always a good one. And the I, obviously the big one's the SEC one. That, yeah, that's going to be I mean, if you, if you watch any one college football game, I would recommend watching the SEC title game because that is the one game that can literally shift the playoffs with whatever the outcome is. It's definitely going to be an interesting playoff scenario, however they pan out. I mean, all the top four teams are in there. I mean, you you can't really argue with who's in there. Not right now you can't. I mean, I... I mean, obviously, I I personally think Oklahoma should probably be over Georgia. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma has that bad loss uh, on the road against a division opponent who's escaping me right now. So, you know that that doesn't help anything. But again, I I, I think Oklahoma is going to end up ultimately in the top four. It probably will happen, but it's going to be a tough thing between Ohio State and LSU. Like, I, I think yeah, that's no, I mean, I, yeah. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I, Oklahoma doesn't have enough defense to stop either one of those teams, whoever they have to play. And LSU, you know, in Burroughs is the real deal. Their defense is good. And Ogeron just knows how to fire them boys up, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what. I, I That is the one thing with LSU that is so fun is Ed Ogeron is arguably one of the most un, underrated, unspoken about coaches in all of college football. Right. I mean, he took over this team from Les Miles where – you know they were in the the interim tag. Nobody thought he was going to hold on to that job. End up signing him to a really big deal, and he's performing well. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. No, I mean he he's a great leader of men. You know these college kids knows how to recruit. You know, and obviously Ohio State is Ohio State. They just uh, Chase Young is uh, such a game changer from the defensive end standpoint. I mean, they rush him inside, they rush him on the outside, and he just finds his way to the quarterback in the ball no matter what. Yeah, you can't go 
what, what else can you say about him? It's just that's going to be your one-two. Yeah, I mean, you can't – you literally – you have to game plan for one man. I mean, when's the last time, uh, you know, probably since Clowney, have yep. you really needed to worry about one defensive player disrupting your entire game plan? Yeah, that was the last one I could really think of. Yeah, I mean, even for as great as the Watt brothers were, they mm-hmm. weren't game changers like, you know, uh, like Chase Young is. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see as the push goes through. I mean, it can't be all Ohio State and Michigan like it was this week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, what Michigan didn't even show up. No. What Michigan game? Stinker. It was just Ohio State scrimmage. Absolutely stinker. What else can you say about that one? So let me close out the round in the base section with talking a little boxing because this weekend, as we are recording, Saturday, December 7th, Andy Ruiz Jr., Anthony Joshua 2 is going down. Saudi Arabia. It's going to be the rematch of the upset of the year. Upset of the decade, maybe? You you could argue Anthony Joshua, the heavy favorite when they first fought, got absolutely handed, handed a defeat by Ruiz. This one, though, a lot more is at stake because, obviously, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury are fighting in the new year. The winner of that would arguably face the winner of this. If Ruiz pulls off the miracle win again, uh, him versus Deontay Wilder would be box office like you wouldn't believe. Would not believe. And if you saw Wilder's last fight, that jab is absolutely ridiculous that he was losing every round in his fight and just literally dropped his opponent in the seventh. It was absolutely sickening. Ortiz there, it was all... This one, though, if I got to make a prediction, I think Joshua gets his... uh, Swagger back with this one. I want to see Ruiz win. I'm rooting for him, but I think Joshua gets it back, and then you'll probably have Wilder versus Joshua, which at this stage I just don't even care about. I care about it less than I do Triple G Canelo 3 because Triple G won all those two fights, and I have no interest in seeing the trilogy. But that fight is going down this weekend on pay-per-view, so definitely check where you watch pay-per-view boxing because it will be worth your time if you are into seeing who is going to be facing Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury winner in the next year. So let's close it out with those locks and leaps, shall we? Who wants to kick us off? I'll start first. Uh, looking at my lock, I'm looking at the Green Bay Packers going up against the uh, Washington Redskins. Games in Green Bay in December. Could be real cold. Uh, Green Bay is currently favored by 13 points, so I definitely think Green Bay is going to be able to win that one. Looking at uh, my leap, I'm looking at the Thursday night game, which is the Dallas Cowboys going up against the Chicago Bears. Uh, currently, Dallas is a three-point favorite, but I'm just saying you lost back-to-back weeks with against New England and then Buffalo. I would not be surprised if we see Dallas lose again. Well, that's a big statement, mm-hmm. big one to see. Coach, what you got? Ah, okay. It was tough, tough slate of games here. Yeah. Uh, I am going to go for my lock. I'm going to go with the Texans against the Broncos. Okay. Uh, I saw something in Houston this last game against New New England. The SWAT gear. The, the SWAT. Look, yeah, they look the like whole, the shield. Yeah, they look like the shield. I saw uh, a fire in their eyes. I think a lot of teams were discounting them after the week performance before against Baltimore. They come out make a statement win against New England. I think they're going to continue that streak against the Broncos. And for my leap, I am L struggling, but I am going to take, I think it's going to be the, yeah, it's just a slate of garbage. Uh, I'm going to take the Panthers uh, on the road against the Falcons. Interesting. With a new head coach? With a new head coach. They played well last week. You know, Christian McCaffrey's still a weapon there. Uh, You know, and again, they played well last week. Building on this week, Atlanta is... Who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? 
I'll just take the Panthers. Fair enough. For my lock, I'm riding with Pad. I'm taking the Packers over the Redskins. Sure. I mean, that's that's easy, low-hanging fruit. Oh, yeah. Rodgers is going to want to make sure he locks up a playoff position this week than not. And for my leap, Patrick Mahomes got a little something to prove. Okay. I am taking him over Tom Brady and the Patriots. I know they're going to Foxborough. I know it's coming off a Patriots loss. I don't care. I think that maybe, just maybe, Kansas City's got something to prove on this one. Could be. We are. Uh, Pat is unbuttoning his shirt right now. He's steaming with he that. He is pick. fuming about this one. Nah. This, this is a good thing we. Yeah, he's trying to downplay it, folks. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm not worried about it. Oh, I expect to hear something from So Wizard and Wonder Soul about this one too. It's tough. I just the, the fact that they're going into New England in December is say tough. The, the field might still be frosted over from the new nor'easter that came through. Yeah, it, I mean, I like. I like. Kansas City's defense going against this abysmal wide receiver core of New England, but after a loss at home, this is also going to be a Tom Brady very single-digit losses in December, if I'm not mistaken. But you know who's their it's defensive coordinator? Kansas City, exactly. We just talked about him, the man who's two and zero against New England in the Super Bowl. And this is where I think they they got a little bit of a favor to do. And this is where we're going to really see what New England's got. You know what, Pad, Ken. Change my pick. I'm going Kansas City now on the road. Oh, too. he's riding with me. I'm riding. I, I, we, we talked about this. We talked it out. And Spagnola in New England, December. Take it. I'll give it. Give it to me. I like it. He has gone crazy since that Knicks rant. I. So trust me, this is gonna be some <laughs> wild picks out. I yeah. I just. I mean, it just adds up. I mean, Spagnola. The defense is playing so well. They. He obviously, you know, knows how to game plan for Brady. He's been successful against him in the past. Mahomes is playing decent. Eh. Well, this is just going to be the true benchmark of what Kansas City is going to bring to the playoffs. Because let's face it, the road to the Super Bowl is going through New England. Kind of a must-win for I think Kansas so. City, too. I absolutely yeah, both think sides. so. A little bit. And, I mean, Buffalo and then Baltimore on that flip side, that's that's a tough game. I mean, because they're 1 o'clock, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, you definitely know that New England's going to be watching that game close because, I mean... If Buffalo wins, they're tied for and, first. Yeah, they're tied for first, especially yeah. if New England loses. That's what so, I'm saying. Yeah, well, a lot of lot riding. Baltimore would have the advantage given the fact they beat them. Right, right, right. But for the Bills, it's the AFC East. Well, they'd be tied for AFC East, right. is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Oh, well. no, no, absolutely going into it. For New England, we have to kind of see how they bounce back. Now, I know New England is going to bounce back. No question about it. Belichick is going to be too gamed up for this one. It's going to be a true challenge. No question about it. But remember the last time they faced each other? It was like a Madden game on easy. Just as long as Andy Reid doesn't outcoach Andy Reid. Well, that's also going to be another factor. That's a huge factor. But with Spagnola, though, calling the defense, I like their chances. I do. Yeah. I, I, like no, I said, you convinced me. You sold me, Ken. I, uh, sign me up. I'll even say 37-34. All right. I'm not going to put a score out there. That's just wild. I'll put one out there. All right. Let's roll them dice, baby. I'll take the, whatever the whatever the over-under is, whatever the total scores, I'll take the over on this. Yeah, I'll take the. That's what I think. It's going to be a high scoring game. Yeah, I truly do think. I think Spagnola is going to game plan well. Patriots are going to go out there and they're going to want to do something. This is going to be definitely a high scoring game. This will be back and forth. This will be great for fantasy football playoffs that are happening this week. So definitely watch your lineups for that. I mean, not if you have anybody outside of Tom Brady or Julian Edelman, because yeah, well, you can't trust anybody else. In New England right now. Uh, well, it depends who you got. I mean, New England depends old. who's healthy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I've had White for the last two weeks, and pff, terrible. 
Well, that's your fault. You took a you took a. Hey, yeah. listen. I mean, Cardinal, I thought nobody's healthy. They gotta throw the ball to somebody. Cardinal rule: never draft a Patriots running back unless his name is Sony Michelle. He was a free agent. I didn't even draft him. He was there. I was like, listen, they Same gotta throw applies. the ball somewhere. Same rule applies. We're gonna be calling Coach Help tonight, folks. He's he's definitely lost his mind. <laughs> the Knicks rant. The Knicks have listen, broken him. We Ken, we are in a a keeper league here where we have six positions on the bench. I mean, guys are stashing dudes that are like seven weeks away from returning. I'm desperate for a running back. I picked up Darian Geis. I luckily it panned out, but I was desperate. I almost picked up Snell from Pittsburgh. That's how tough it is right now because there is nobody healthy. It's true, but I'm still going to fault you on this one. Oh, whatever. I I will stick to my argument here and defend myself. You can definitely do that, and we can definitely talk about how the music you heard on this show is that a Fair City Fire. Our friends out of Austin, Texas, which we just heard Brian Wolf is going to be actually playing at Ransom Seal Tavern in December. He's got a gig coming up uh, near New Year's Eve. I'm not sure the exact date, but if you go to faircityfire.com, you can definitely hit him up and let him know how to get there. OchoDuroParleyHour.com slash music. You can find out about them, Shot of the Robots, Floodlands, Walking Distance, Honker, all the great music you hear on the ODPH podcast. You can also go over, check out Hashtag Podcast. Find out about Three Fat Nerds. You can find out about Horizone 607. Hey, do you know 8122 Productions is on Patreon? Love is Scary, featuring Spooky Mike and Dr. Derek. If you need a reason to get Patreon, I am giving you one. Solid entertainment and content. I cannot repeat on here because it's definitely not safe for work. I can give you an advisory, but it's not going to work. They don't. I can't do enough justice. You need to get this in your life. That is all I can say with that. You can also check out Parlay Points, which has the complimentary blogs to the ODPH podcast during the week. So we definitely want to interact with you. Everything that is ODPH, you can check out on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. And we also want to shout out our friends over Next Wave and Pod Nation. You can find out about all those great podcasts if you go to PodChaser.com. Type in Alternate Reality Radio. You can find the list for Next Wave. And Pod Nation is on there as well, so you can find out all about that. Because that's all we got for this week. So for your coach, my coach, the broken coach, Coach Duffy. Good night and go Knicks. For Padawan J. John Calipari, still coaching Kentucky. I'm your host, Ken M. Go Buffalo. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.